This is the ID Fanatic Podcast, coming to you from beautiful Midtown Toronto on Tuesday, March 9th, 2021. The podcast where we talk to real instructional designers for one half hour about their lives, their careers, and how they keep it all together. My guest today is Grima Gupta, founder and CEO of Arthur Learning of Toronto, Canada. Grima, hi. Welcome to the show. Hi, Mitch. How are you doing? Thank you so much for being my first guest. <laughs> Happy to be here. And going through all the technical difficulties. Um, so start off, just uh, tell us a little bit about what's happening in your life right now. Oh, what's happening in my life right now? I am just in a very, very um, beautiful place in my life right now, Mitch, working on building my company. We've been at it for the last three and a half, four years now. And I can see all that uh, initial hard work sort of starting to pay off, building a name for ourselves, building an, a, a community of instructional designers and mm-hmm. developers who are supporting each other. It's it's just something I can't stop thinking about. Yeah. And yeah. That's great. Uh, so you own a business. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you, how did that happen? Um, Accidentally. Uh-huh. So I, um, uh, it's such a deep question though for me. It's, it's complicated and it, it traverses so many different things. I was, um, when I moved from my career in software engineering, moved to education and writing, and then moved to uh, e-learning, uh, I was part of training departments for a number of organizations before I decided I want to switch on, um, switch and start on my own. Um, and I started working as a contractor, really. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I did differently is I started this company, and then I was the sole person. I was uh, working as a contractor under the company, and work just grew. Word of mouth, people uh, wanted more from us. Um, I started taking on contractors, and I realized, you know what, this is this is getting a little bigger, and ooh, I can make this something real and um, tangible. So then we started taking full-time employees. It was very organic. It, I didn't start by, you know, a big splash and saying, uh-huh. there is Arthur Learning. We grew sort of into it. So I'm wondering how word of mouth spreads. When you have a, like proprietary clients, how do people get to know what you're doing? Um, I think it's, it's about thinking of them. And uh, this has been my mantra from day one, Mitch, is not to think of them as clients, really. Uh-huh. Them as partners, you think of them as your supporters and people who are as much interested in your business as you are in theirs. So, yeah, I mean, it, it grows when, when, you, when you take them from being a client to being a friend and a partner and really becoming your biggest cheerleaders. Hmm. Hmm. So they speak to each other, right? People in the industry talk to each other. All. Well, that's, that's interesting perspective. Um, yeah, I mean, it's oversimplifying, of course, so many different. Yeah. <laughs> You've had a lot of changes in the last year with, uh, with COVID and with everything and your business has changed a bit. Can you talk about uh, some of the challenges you faced and how you overcame them? Oh, absolutely. When COVID hit, um, the the very first impact we had, well, not in terms of workforce, because we were always from day one remote company. 
So that was that was uh, easy for us. That didn't really make a difference. But the number one impact was that my biggest client stopped using us. They did not renew us, and they were like, you know, Garima, we we can't do anything additional right now. And they shifted from high quality asynchronous e-learning to basically virtual instructor led over the Zoom six hour sessions. And while knowing very well that this is not necessarily the the best method, but that 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 was the constraints they were working under. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, so we had to sort of pivot from there. Uh, what's interesting is a, a good percentage of our clients come from higher ed and all the higher ed institutes had to pivot as well into virtual emergency online training. And some of our clients came to us for help with that. That's something we have not done before. I could have said, no, thank you, but it was their need for our existing clients. We sort of tried to make that work for them and it was such a success. My IDs with specific um, experience in academia helped about 60 different uh, undergrad courses go online with uh, working closely with their instructors. It was a very fulfilling experience for us. And it helped us tide over COVID for sure. And now how, how now you've clients come back already? It's uh, we're not quite out of COVID. Yeah, I do, there's a lesser need for one-on-one consulting on how to go online. People are sort of, you know, we have, we sort of three semesters into this thing already when mm-hmm. professors have figured that out. So we've pivoted again. I think a, a big part of being, uh, of chasing success is being agile and being able to sort of, you know, move and adapt to the uh, requirements. One of my uh, client in fact said that is, is uh, our ability to shift and move to their requirements is key in our relationship with them. And now, for example, what we're doing for them is moving from that, moving away from that one-on-one consultancy and uh, course design and turning into bigger workshops on how to do this better for, for the professors. Yeah, you need a lot of resiliency, I think, uh, in, in, in all parts of your life to, to deal with, I guess, just to deal with things as they go along. Uh, yeah, I think uh, a certain ability to, uh, you know, not get too phased by things, although I'm sure there's been some upset during the year, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> but, to come, but to come through it. As I'm speaking, I'm thinking, am I sugarcoating stuff? But uh, yeah. yeah, definitely resiliency, uh, perseverance, just um, uh, ability to almost say yes to things that you've not done before and then figure them out on mm-hmm. go is important and figuring them out in depth and with clarity with um with an understanding that you're somebody's paying you to do this so you really need to bring your your best uh, to the fore and one thing as a business owner that has helped me be resilient is to be working with just people of high caliber mm. You know, they they inspire you every day when you're working with good people who know what they're doing and you see their work and you're like there's always something to learn from them um and now your company is 100 percent remote mm-hmm. uh that's still not the norm 
there's still there's a lot of companies that are that are partially remote or that have remote uh, contractors whatever but but you you do everything remotely with everybody um maybe talk a little bit about how how you decided to do that and how that works yeah we've been remote from day one and i think that stems from my own personal experiences i found instructional design is such a deeply creative and almost you know when, when you write those storyboards when you when you talk to the clients when you try and figure out from from your inside of uh, of your own experiences what exactly uh, can i build that will support somebody who's learning this thing in this situation in this environment there cannot be time limits there cannot be you know okay think about it from nine to five ideas come to you in the shower they come in when you're sleeping they, they and you need to be available for them and at the same time we are all humans and there is this whole um uh, i don't want to say work life but really i mean that holistic who we are and we bring that all of us to the to the fore to work and just this nine to five monday to friday this is such an outdated concept in my mind it's it's a factory concept that does not apply to knowledge work that does not apply to creative work so that was my my go-to from day one is we're going to be fully remote and it comes with its own challenge especially as the team grows and as you want there to be more and more interaction between them. You want to understand the people behind the role, mm -hmm. take that additional effort to make sure that you, you're making those connections over the internet, right? Uh, but it's not undoable and it comes with people. People really, really value that flexibility that comes with being remote and being able to, you know, not need a half day because your plumber is coming uh, yeah. and between 12 to four. Now, for the listeners, I've worked for Garima last year, and I'm, I'm currently working for her on a project. And one thing that's interesting about what you're doing, uh, or what you're trying to do, is you're having your your um, your staff meetings, but you have an objective. Uh, you've always had this objective with your staff meetings of trying to humanize it a little bit, trying to get people to be a little less st stiff and, you know, formal with each other. Uh, it's, it's, it's a tough one, but um, uh, you've, you've made that a priority. How, how, how have you found, or why are you doing that? And, and how do you find it's going? It's a tough one, Mitch, but we try. And um, I guess it, it stems from your definition of success. For me, it is just getting as many good people as I can on the journey along, right? And making the journey worthwhile for, we're, we're all, um, and I'm going a little spiritual here, but we're all on this life journey and everybody comes in it for a reason. Instructional design is what we do, but that's just a part of who we are, right? And I'm I feel just so, grateful that I'm able to take the people who are with me on this journey for whatever limited time they are with us. And that's that's my idea of success is that people who meet me for whatever limited time, who meet Artha Learning and are part of it for whatever limited amount of time, go gaining something positive from the experience, whether it's our clients, whether it is our staff, whether it's our contractors, whether it's our learners. So that's, that's because that's a priority for me, it sort of 
comes across in the meetings. Um, it's not just you're my graphic designer or you're a, a e-learning developer with Artha or you're an ID with Artha or you're a project manager with Artha. You are people and we're meeting in that shared space as people. And that's really important to me. Okay, I'm going to move on to uh, something. <laughs> no, not, to the, I not to the other questions, but I wanted to ask, I'm going to ask this question of everybody. What did you want to be when you grew up? Because I oh assume it wasn't an instructional designer. No, it wasn't. And <laughs> <laughs> that's a very good question. There's so many different uh, things as I, you know, in different parts of my life. But when I look back and I, I studied as an engineer, uh, an electronics and communication engineer, moved into telecom software, then moved into education. But when I was growing up, um, I don't know if there was one thing, but I remember sort of writing these fictional checks of like zero, 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 many zeros, fictional salaries to people. So I guess I always wanted to be a businesswoman. Oh. So like, okay, this is my uh, employee and I'm giving them like $10 million of salary. Well, that's, that's interesting because you're writing those checks to your employees. Uh, the famous story that I know is Jim Carrey writing himself a, a $10 million check to himself. Ah, I <laughs> No, it was it was his sort of he was really down and he was saying, well, one day I'm going to get a 10 million dollar check. So I'm just going to write it to myself right now. But you're writing it to other people. Yes. <laughs> um, and you know what? I had forgotten about it. But um, it, once I was thinking and it came back, my God, I used to do that. Yeah. As a child. How old were you? Great. Five, six. <laughs> Ambitious. Definitely at, at a time when I did not know what $10 million meant. Yes, very ambitious. Um, so how did you acquire, this is again for, for people, I think they're interested to know how people acquire their ID skills, whether it's through, you know, through courses or through just being thrown into it or what happened with you? I think you swim in the ocean of all the resources that are available to you and some stick and some don't. Mm -hmm. um, whether it's podcasts like this, there are just, the good thing with our community, with the LND community is there's a lot of people working out loud. There are a lot of people happy to share their, their learnings. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so just building that personal learning network and leveraging that. Um, for me, I'm an avid reader. I just, you know, I read anything that comes in front of me. I, so for me, it was just a lot of going through blogs and articles and books and stuff. Um, uh, I probably read every single blog post of um, some uh, some of the bigger names out there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and again, since many people with listening to this will be new or emerging instructional designers, can you talk about how you got your first ID job? Hmm. My my first ID job was sort of an in-house promotion. I joined as an LMS administrator, uh, a trainer kind of thing, where I was uh, running um, a part of an, uh, a training department in a company. And I just basically grew from there. And I said, hmm, I could write this course for you guys, and then wrote that, and then did something else. And I was like, why is this looking like this? We can change it. And sort of just took initiative from beyond my existing role. Um, yeah, that was my first ID work. And how did you decide to go independent from there? 
after a couple of jobs within bigger organizations, part of training departments, it, the issue with that is you, you're doing a lot of good work for the employees and the staff of a company, but there is very, for me at least, there was there were a lot of limitations and a lot of param strict parameters you were working with. You were creating courses only which meant for that company, those staff. And then uh, in my case, it was not a profit center, right? So training, mm -hmm. and I, I feel like a lot of people out there would uh, resonate with it, is that training becomes a cost center and you're always trying to um, justify uh, your existence in a bigger company. Uh, what I wanted to do was uh, go to a place or work in a place or create a place um, where training was paramount. It was the business. It was um, so important that it was worth putting effort into getting the best tools out there, getting the best people out there and doing really good work. So yeah, I got sort of tired of being in those restrictions Mm -hmm. and um, not being able to do this, not being able to do that. It's like, enough of this. I'm just going on my own. It was really an experiment. I decided to start my master's and my contract together at the same time. And it's oh, like, wow. It's to work out. Ah. <laughs> again, you know, you got this theme of ambition going through, <laughs> through your story here. <laughs> you know what? It, it probably was more like hedging my risks. It's like, I yeah. do two the next few questions are more about your personal life to give our listeners some insight about how you juggle your different roles. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. So to start with, what is your family situation like? Okay. So I, my husband and my two teenage kids, 19 and 16, oh, very a son good. and a daughter. And uh, you, are you the sole breadwinner in the house? No. And what is your spouse do? Um, uh, he's a consultant in the banking and finance industry. And he's been that for many, many years. Yeah. My, I guess with, uh, with a lot of us, he, his careers have gone through various avatars as well, but yeah. that's where he's currently. So how do you, how do you go about juggling two full-time careers? Um, with your two kids. Yeah. I, I guess at this point of my life, it, it doesn't seem like that big a deal. I guess we've just evolved into it. There, when and for people who have younger kids, I guess it's it's tougher, you know, because there are just so many competing priorities uh, in your life. Working from home helps a big, big deal, because um, I remember when my now in COVID, everybody's working online and studying online. But uh, I used to block my calendar from 3 to 3.30 because that's the time my daughter used to come back from school. I would stop work. I would spend half an hour with her, talk to her, give her something to eat, chat about her day, and then back to work. And I loved it so much. So yeah, I think working from home is a big part of that work-life balance for us. And, and that flexibility. I mean, I'm working on weekends. Um, I'm working at nights, but then it's on um, and it, the same with people who work with us on Arta is we try and micromanage as little as possible. Um, people are smart, they're independent, they're adults, and they know how to use their time. And is your, did your husband work from home before COVID? No. 
So yeah, it's easier not to have two people working from home at the same time. <laughs> yes. I think so. He's stuck in the bedroom or something. <laughs> Very final. Sorry. Get the first dibs on the best location in the house. Yes. Well, you already had the office. You had dibs. You already had your <laughs> office set up. He can, you know, go in the garage or whatever. <laughs> um. So the last official question here is: uh, How do you keep sane when you're not working in these trying times? Um. Uh, I do meditation a little bit. Oh, yeah? every now and then yes i'm trying to be regular but uh, that's difficult um i'm not a big exercise person i'm not a big social person so i'm i try to get those elements in my life i walk a little bit i'll try and talk to people beyond work but that's really not my thing um it's usually people have to reach out to me uh, for social stuff mm, um i cook every day oh yeah you enjoy cooking? Sorry? Do you enjoy cooking? Mm, uh, times, <laughs> but not every time. <laughs> what do you like's your favorite dish to cook? Uh, <laughs> uh, my favorite dish to to cook. That's difficult. There is this Indian um, uh, street food called pav bhaji, which is really uh, just a medley of all vegetables. We are all vegetarian. Uh, a mel- it's nice, spicy, tasty, just, you can't figure out what's in it. It's just all veggies cooked together and you have them with bread. Um, I love doing that because then I can hide all the veggies and, <laughs> <laughs> and it's yeah. yeah, my go-to for that is a stir fry. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, you can't hide, um, you know, artichokes and uh, broccolis in there. Yeah. All right. So uh, this is about uh, two minutes to go. To wrap up, I'd like to do something I first saw on the Actors Studio on TV. There are 10 questions that James Lipton used to ask at the end of every interview. And the idea is just to say the first thing that pops into your mind and not think about it too much. So are you ready for that? I'm scared. <laughs> That's what you call ready. All right. First question, what is your favorite word? My favorite word, innovation. Mm-hmm. What is your least favorite word? Stuck. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Reflection. What turns you off? Having to be somebody or like somebody. What is your favorite curse word? (laughs) F star star star. No? Okay. <laughs> start, start, start. It's fine. Uh, what sound or noise do you love? Water. I love water. And we live near a river and it's beautiful. And what sound or noise do you hate? Um, nothing specifically. My daughter hates the sound of metal on metal. So we've oh, yeah. been trying to avoid that. And now I've been like trained to hate that but <laughs> like what 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 sound makes metal on metal that you have like, to avoid like imagine a steel spoon sort of scraping a oh, yeah. um, a pot or something yeah she hates that so we we've all started hating it <laughs> what profession 
other than your own would you like to attempt? A motivational speaker. Hmm. You'd be very good at it. What profession would you like not like to do? Oh my God, so many, so many, especially um, yeah, the ones which are very regimented, where you have to follow orders. I could mm. never be in a military or an army or stuff like that. I mean, full respect to people, but uh, <laughs> who, who yes, doing yes. that? But I couldn't follow orders without questioning and without having my freedom, I guess. And the last question, the original version is kind of Judeo-Christian. It's when you, when you passed away and you go to the pearly gates, what would you like God to say about you? <laughs> So, oh no, she's back. <laughs> oh no, she's back. Is that a reincarnation thing? <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh my God, let, let's send her away again somewhere else. <laughs> and we're done. I want to thank my friend Garima Gupta for bravely being the first guest on this, my debut show. Before I go, though, I want to answer a question that might be in the minds of the two people listening. Ergo, why am I doing this? Unlike most podcast leaders, I am not a guru in the industry or a success story. I was an artist in my 20s. I wrote short stories, worked for a children's theater company, ghost wrote for a cartoonist and published a few cartoons of my own. I wrote and directed a play to some success and then I realized how little most professional theater directors get paid and how nomadic the life is. And I thought about turning my writing skills to more stable work, and eventually ended up in instructional design and development. My first 10 years, I worked in a bank, doing all kinds of training, at first with lots of autonomy, and then, as the recession hit, with less and less. By the time I left, I'd started writing screenplays, and went off to Hollywood to peddle them. And while there, I got offered a very lucrative e-learning contract that lasted the next year and a half. With that ended, I took some of the money I'd saved and made a short film that got onto US cable. For a while after that, I juggled screenwriting and e-learning, subcontracting with other firms so I didn't have to procure the work, and then just screenwriting as the contracts became more sporadic. Three $0 years and a couple of low-money option scripts preceded my big break when I very nearly sold what would have been a million-dollar script to a studio. But sadly, it didn't fly, and I was unable to come through with a follow-up. When my kids were young, and I was working from home, looking after them, I went back to school, studying cognitive science as it related to learning, thinking that might help get my career back on track. And it did revive, but it was still sporadic. Now at 63, I'm looking for some way to get back into the mix, and one way of doing that is to be more public, to give back, and these days, that usually means blogging. But then I heard that ID podcasts were a thing. And I joined John Hinchcliffe's global learning and development community meetups on Fridays and met all these other IDs. And I thought with my background and skills, I could maybe put the two together. Plus, I'm really curious about how other IDs' careers have gone. So here I am, and here we are, my two listeners. And let's just see what happens. The ID Fanatic drops every Tuesday at noon Eastern time. I hope you're inspired to subscribe. To get notices of upcoming episodes, sign up at idfanatic.mykajabi.com slash opt-in. 
you'll also get a free gift of my instructional design cheat sheet. You can contact me, Mitch Moldovsky, on LinkedIn, and I hope that you and yours have a totally awesome week. Bye-bye-bye.